0: Today's guest has lived through and worked through a community tragedy and has created a guide that I say should be on the desk of every human being on the planet. Melissa Glasser has written a book entitled Healing a Community, Lessons for Recovery After a Large-Scale Trauma. Melissa Glasser, welcome to Mind Talk.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Melissa is a community response and recovery leader. She was the coordinator of the Newtown Recovery and Resiliency Team and is currently in private practice while actively consulting with other organizations and communities. Melissa, would you say that the way that we think about and experience tragedies has changed since the Newtown uh, experience, or is it essentially the same? I think there have been a lot of changes. Um, many of them ha- are um,
1: about, you know, how we look at the long-term effects, you know, how, how we think about um, trauma and uh, community recovery. And certainly there seems to have been um, lots of changes in the area of safety and security um, in our schools in uh, public buildings uh, you know we haven't made unfortunately um, enough inroads in terms of uh, gun control laws in terms of looking at mental health um, that has uh, contributed to these mass shootings but um, in terms of clinical work absolutely you
0: know speaking of, of clinical work what we what was interesting to me about healing a community is that it includes clinical information, clinical forms that one can adapt, guidance on how to write a grant, how to interact with the community there's even a discussion about the political aftermath. Why so many different pieces in one book? You know I felt uh, when our
1: when uh, my work with my team was coming to a close in Newtown, that it was really important to give other community leaders and clinicians going into this field of work um, an idea of what we learned and the model that we developed. Um, when I took the position, I there, there was no um, footprint. It was really hard for me to find any written information Um, any research as to where do you start um, and how do you put a recovery model together for an entire community? So um, that's why the book is laid out the way that it is. And uh, there were so many aspects of the work, like the politics, like the money involved um, and like reframing and rethinking our clinical approaches that um, were absolutely new to me. You know, I, I didn't go into the position realizing that I would be navigating through all of that. So again, I wanted to document that for others.
0: You know, what, what strikes me about your response is um, when you referred to other clinicians going into this field of work, and just that phrase, mm-hmm. because it struck me that nowadays, community tragedies are so frequent that it really is a field of work.
1: Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no shortage of mass shootings, no shortage of community tragedy. Um And I I think, you know, we will probably see in the next 10 years um, this being a direction for uh, students in graduate programs. Uh, So, you know, but before this, you know, at the time of the Sandy Hook school shooting, um, everybody that was in clinical practice said that they were a trauma-informed therapist. And, uh, you know, what we quickly uncovered is You know, that there are the basics and then there are um, those that really have that intensive training that encompasses working with the whole person, the whole mind-body connection that is so important. Uh, So I I talked about in the book, you know, I am a cognitive behavioral therapist um, that um, I've been in practice for 30 years. But I literally um, had to throw out a lot of what I knew or thought going into working with this community um, and bring in the experts and do a whole lot of education and retraining to understand um, the magnitude of the impact and what it would take uh, to, um, you know, um, help those through recovery and hopefully get to that place of resiliency.
0: I, I really... Um... Well, do believe that what you have created ought to be required reading good good news, bad news, um, yeah. ought to be required yeah. reading for anyone who's doing any kind of crisis work uh, because whether you are in the thick of the actual crisis itself or dealing with the individual or the family that has experienced the crisis, there's so much to be gained from really uh, going through healing a community. Uh, And and you say Mm -hmm. that trauma-related wounds are easy to to reopen. Um, A triggering event such as a news account of another incident or the anniversary of a tragedy or all of those things can reopen a trauma. Yeah,
1: I lost you there for a minute. Trauma-related
0: wounds. All right, let me go back to that. One of the interesting things that um, you make clear in healing a community is how easy it is for trauma-related wounds to reopen, Uh, whether Mm -hmm. it's a triggering event such as another incident or an anniversary or even going back to school uh, or a drill and so many mm-hmm. schools now have these lockdown drills, they can, all, they can all sort of re-trigger a trauma. That's
1: right. You know, we know now um, you know, that when somebody experiences um, a trauma, particularly um, something, um, an experience that is aggressive and violent and puts an individual in a mindset of being helpless, um, that that trauma is encapsulated um, and, and, you know, the, at the time the pain may be so great that it, it is pushed aside or, um, you know, saved um, for a, a time when that um, individual may be able to um, work through it. But often what occurs then is, you know, the, like we all know in terms of PTSD um and, Another event, um, a sight, a sound, a phrase uh, um, may send that person back into that place of trauma and open up that capsule, and um, all the um, symptoms will come flooding to the surface. You know, the interesting dynamics about a small community that experiences this is that it's almost as if um, individuals, especially those. Um, most impacted, like the families that lost a child. Um, they live in a fishbowl, so they go to the grocery store and people may recognize them and come up and, and try to talk with them um, and bring up, you know, in with good intent, um, some expression of sympathy. They go to a soccer game with their uh, another child um, and feel re-triggered. They have to drive their child um, that has survived to school every day with that sense of, you know, are we safe? Can I trust? Is this okay to do? So, um, you know, it's as if there um, are triggers all around. And I talk about in the book that, you know, uh, when we uh, came into Sandy Hook, it was 18 months after the tragedy. And I call that the consequence phase versus the first 18 months, which uh, was the crisis phase. And when we came in, the message from many of the leaders in town was um, everybody's doing fine, we're moving forward. And really through the work, you know, what we came to realize is that this is a very long process and um, some individuals that needed assistants had not even come forward and, you know, weren't able to even identify that they needed help yet. Um, but it really is probably, you know, a 10 to 15 year process for most people in most communities.
0: Melissa, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, okay. um, there uh, there were some things that you were particularly concerned about, and we'll we'll touch on one uh, when we return, folks. This okay. is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk, having a conversation with Melissa Glasser, who is the author of Healing a Community: Lessons for Recovery After Large Scale Trauma. We'll be right back. Melissa, you talked about the pain that was caused by the conspiracy theorists. You said that the tragedy was was staged. Can you speak more about that?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that was probably one of the most devastating um, uh, uh, continued occurrences that would re-trigger these families and many in the community. Um, You know, you think about, you know, families that are just uh, trying to put the pieces together and make sense of such an unspeakable event. And then, you know, you um, in the media Um, And sometimes, you know, uh, in town, um, you know, rallying around the idea that this um, was a conspiracy theory and never occurred. And these families are, you know, grieving the loss of their children, the loss of their family members. So, um, you know, it really, when trust has been broken um, and a sense of safety has been so um, fractured, You know, um, a group like this or even an individual that is perpetuating this um, is, uh, you know, extremely devastating.
0: Do you have any thoughts about what would drive an individual or a group to uh, advance the conspiracy theories?
1: You know, I think that uh, there's a lot of ill, mentally ill people out there. There's a lot of people that look for a cause blindly. And when they hear somebody yelling loud enough, um, if they're feeling like um, if they're a little lost in their own lives and they want to connect to something, um, unfortunately, people will find groups like this. Um, you know, it, it's hard to make sense of it otherwise. I think some of the leaders of these groups are, you know, extremely narcissistic and are. Um, looking for um, an outlet to gain attention, no matter what that outlet might be.
0: You uh, spoke about Newtown being inundated with SUVs. So, you know, my immediate thought was cars, really? But that's not what you meant (laughs) at all. (laughs) Right. Right. What's an SUV?
1: Um. it is somebody that is coming into town and kind of setting up shop, um, saying, I'm here to help. Um, uh, so we call them spontaneous uninvited visitors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, uh, people, some of them well-intended, honestly, um, but didn't, weren't equipped to um, follow up or deliver on what they were promising. Um, and often did more damage than good. And then, you know, because of the media presence um, with this tragedy, um, many, many people came to um, kind of ogle at, you know, what, what was going on, or um, they would send all kinds of, you know, um, blankets and gifts and, um, you know, letters, and uh, again, with good intent. but. Often, you know, the town was not not equipped to, to handle all of this. Um, you know, the media, as everybody probably remembers, set up shop, you know, and they were on the main streets and in front of the public buildings and, uh, you know, had their lights and cameras on. And uh, while, you know, again, the intent is not to take advantage Many people, I think, found themselves um, thinking that this in front of the camera and tell their story, and then afterwards had regrets about um, how it was perceived, or that maybe they weren't quite ready to deliver that story or that message the way they had wanted to. So um, that was, you know, another whole element of uh, working through the trauma. And, uh, you know, we believe it, um, it further traumatized the community in many respects.
0: I would think so. I mean, just the stress of being on camera as you're trying to understand what's just happened to you and then being asked to explain what you yourself don't really understand.
1: is hard. It's hard. It's hard to know um, who to trust. It's hard to know... Um, what's important to say and what's important to hold back, you know, and uh, people are not obviously trained in this. It's hard for leaders to know um, that are traumatized themselves. Um, you know, what do we, um, what do we get out in front of and what do we push away? So, you know, one of the messages um, in the book, one in my uh, chapter about the politics is that uh, part of What I had to navigate was um, standing up in front of some of these leaders and letting them know that, in fact, um, the community had a lot of recovery work and there were a lot of gaps that were needed to be filled when leaders um, often have this um, agenda and understandable that they need to tell the world that we are okay. Um, and my job sometimes um, was to push back and say, "Well, not so much. Not <laughs> there's a lot of work still to be done." So um, that's you know one aspect of the work.
0: You, you know, just the thought um, or or the fact that uh, you you have to deal with the politics of it, and of course you do, and no one really thinks about it until they're kind of in it, uh, but the politics weigh heavy. Uh, on, I think, everyone involved.
1: Yeah. And I felt, you know, it was important for, for, again, people going into the field to understand. You know, for me, it took several months to try to grapple with why, why I felt like I was getting so much pushback. And, um, you know, you, you often go into the work thinking you're going to be welcomed and everyone's going to be very happy that you're there to help. While there is that aspect of it, there's also the other side um, of, uh, you know, feeling like maybe you're going um, uptide and uh, having to uh, give it a different message than what other people have been out in front of. And it finally came to my realization that the reason it felt so hard and there was so much pushback is because, honestly, the leaders in the town, you know, the superintendent of the school, the uh, political leaders, the po- chief of police, um, they were traumatized themselves.
0: Exactly. And
1: nobody was talking about that. Yeah, nobody was talking about that. So, you know, some of the pushback I was getting, I had to come to the understanding of, you know, I, I need to take care of them too. You know, we need to address their own trauma.
0: Well, and, and you will also make the, the comment that, their first responders who, again, we often don't think of, we almost sort of see them as being immune to the crisis that they're in the middle of and trying to respond to. And in fact, they're human beings just like we are. You know, you talk about the hospital triage staff, the state police, the medical examiner. And again, we, we don't think about them as being traumatized even as they're trying to help. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, And, You know, sometimes for
1: us, I would hear from um, a spouse of a first responder before I would hear from a first responder, you know, but they all had to go home to their families after this and and make some sense of, you know, how do you go on um, with your own personal life after witnessing, um, you know, the the horrors of what they walked into at that school. Um, And then for the layer of, I can't allow myself to be vulnerable because then I won't be effective on the job. I still have to go back to work tomorrow.
0: Yeah. It, it, it is such a complicated experience and process of healing. When you say that while someone is never going to return to the old normal, resilience can mm-hmm. take place. So, so that's helpful. Yeah. But when you say that it can take 10 to 15 years to really solidify that, that would be kind of unnerving for folks to hear, I would think. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I say 10 to 15 years in terms of a community really feeling completely um, whole and able to trust and let its guard down again and, and resume, you know, that sense of um, normalcy from before the uh, the shooting. But most of the people that were directly impacted the teachers in the schools, you know, first responders, um, you know, they would talk to us about, you know, there was life before the shooting and then life after. And we know that, you know, you never go back. um, You can't erase um, the wounds. Right. But uh, resiliency is really about, you know, working through the process of recovery and doing that well enough. So that then you feel like there's maybe some post-traumatic growth, you know, then you're able to open your eyes a little more clearly, get out of that fog and feel like um, I can move on from this and uh, um, do something good or be a steward, you know, in the recovery process, help the people on either side of me.
0: You make it clear in healing a community that traumatic reactions are normal responses to abnormal situations. And, and I, I, I underscore that because so many people, as you well know, uh, will sort of blame or shame themselves for having a reaction that is either different from their neighbors or they think is completely outside of the norm. And you're saying, you know, maybe right. not so much.
1: Absolutely. You know, so, you know, what was tricky about the work is that we knew um, we had to do things on a very individualized level because of what you're saying. Everybody um, that experienced this um, and the ripples were great, you know, um, everybody that experienced it um, was having their own reaction that needed to be um, identified and, and a plan, an individual plan needed to take place but then there were programs that we needed to provide for large segments of the community so that they could also come together in their recovery. Um, So, you know, it's not, you know, not about, um, there, there was certainly a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of, you know, we would hear, well, maybe you should use the money for someone else. I'm not as bad off or, um, I didn't go through what they did. Um, and, you know, we really worked hard at educating everybody that, you know, it isn't about how many degrees of separation right. you've had from the tragedy.
0: Yeah. Melissa, we're going to take a break. And when we return, okay. we will continue discussing lessons for recovery after a large-scale trauma healing a community. We'll be right back you. <laughs> Melissa, I'm wondering what you would recommend as a first step for an individual or an organization going into a community that's suffered a trauma. What's the first thing you would like for them to think about or to do?
1: You know, I think education is so important, you know, preceding these tragedies, but, um, you know, I, I talk about. Um, the need when you're going into the community recovery, it really is um, there's a need to define who your community is, who you are there to serve, and then to assess um, that whatever that definition is, whatever the answer is, to really assess where are people at, what's already in place, you know, what are the gaps that need to be filled, um, and who are um, those providers that have been there, um, that continue to service, um, the community because you, you don't want to step on toes. You don't want to, you know, um, push people away. You want to collaborate.
0: So it sounds like uh, taking time to observe and to educate yourself and others is perhaps a good beginning. Getting out in the community.
1: Yeah. Getting out in the community, talking, um, to, uh, you know, leaders and stakeholders and um, those impacted. And uh, I, I highlight in the book, um, we did a couple community surveys um, that were sent out um, uh, by email or um, snail mail and um, to tried to get a really good grasp of what it is the needs were and how people wanted to um, approach the recovery, what is best for them. So um, I think that's really an important first step, Um, as well as setting up an access point that is central to the community and um, communicating to everyone that uh, you have an open-door policy and that you're here to take care of them. You're here to hear what, what their needs are.
0: And also, I would think, finding ways to take care of yourself as you're working to provide the services and care for the community. Yeah. Really critical. I have
1: a chapter in the book. I have a chapter in the book on self care because often, as caregivers, we forget about that piece, right? And, you know, the work becomes extremely overwhelming. You know, there's certainly, um, you know, what clinicians call vicarious traumatization, where you're absorbing so much of the pain um, that you, you can't shake it off yourself unless you work really hard at taking care of yourself, finding balance. Um, and strategies to separate when the workday is over.
0: Melissa, how can we get more information about healing a community? Uh,
1: I have a website, Melissa Glazer, dot rcom And also you can get information through uh, Central Recovery Press.
0: Wonderful. So there are multiple places to get more info about Healing a Community, Lessons for Recovery After a Large-Scale Trauma. Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time to to write this book and to share your expertise with us today.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you, uh, you bringing attention to this.
0: And, folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26x2 Communications. I would love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today. So send an email to me with your questions, comments, or just where you are to Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care.